Well, good morning and happy Valentine's Day, everyone. Thank you for joining us today on our online service. You remember a couple of weeks ago when I talked about how one day I walked, walked into uh, my barn at home and I walked into that ginormous spider web. It wrapped all the way around me, and when I finally did get it off of me, I went and I found the biggest stick I could find, and I went into that barn and I tore down every spider web I could find. Well, we learned that it wasn't about the spider webs. It was about actually taking out the spider that spun those webs in the first place. And in this series, we've been talking about some webs in our lives that give us trouble, webs of envy, webs of anger, bitterness. Uh, those are things that are actually, believe it or not, trying to kill us spiritually. Today, I want to talk about the web of worry. The web of worry. How many worriers do I have out there? Anybody worry? How many of you have got such a problem with worrying that you worry when you don't have something to worry about? I even found an internet site that was about worrying. Some of these things are kind of ridiculous, but it's where people email their anxieties or their worries and they compare notes with each other. Some of them were sad, some of them were funny. Let me read a couple funny ones. One guy wrote in and said, Hey, I worry when my coworkers get a lottery pool going and I don't join in. I worry that they will win and everybody will quit and I'll have to do this job all by myself. Imagine carrying that around for a day. Someone else wrote this, I worry that my cat will sit on my face while I'm sleeping and I'll suffocate. Just get rid of the cat. Problem solved. Here's one, I worry that one day they'll stop making chocolate and I'll starve to death. Me too. I can relate to that one. Many of you can. These are funny, but the truth is worry is not a funny subject. Worry affects over 53 million Americans every day. And I'll go out on a limb and say that I believe through this pandemic it's probably a lot higher than that and probably getting worse every year. But what would you say or what would you figure that would be the top causes of worry? I think they're pretty uh, simple to spell out. Money, for sure. Finances, probably family issues, family decisions. The future, probably the possibility of war. Maybe drugs, violence, inflation. And I know all of those are uh, high on the list, top of the chart. But did you ever stop to think about worry? Did you ever stop to think that worry is a sin? Worry really is a sin. And worry is a sin for a couple of reasons. First, because it replaces God in your life. Think about that. Worry replaces God in your life. Because when you commit the sin of worry, you're actually living as if God doesn't exist. Worry is a sin of distrusting, I think, in the promises, in the providence, in the providential promises of God. And yet it's a sin that Christians commit more frequently than probably any other sin. Maybe you hadn't thought of it that way, but it's true. Secondly, it's because it distracts you from the things that really matter in life. You know, as long as you're worrying, sometimes you can't do anything else. How many of you have ever worried that much that you worried so much that's all, that's all you could do? Would you just think about what was worrying you? Well, that word worry in the Greek literally means to choke. I think that's kind of interesting because worry can literally choke you. It can strangle you. And think about what constant worry can do. Constant worry can eventually lead to spiritual death, where it chokes out and it strangles out our faith and gets what it replaces it with, with fear. And I'm not talking about having legitimate concerns. We all have legitimate concerns where you're in control of your thoughts and your feelings. I'm talking about your worries being in control of you. When your worries get in control of your thoughts, your actions, and your emotions, it gets out of control. 
I'll tell you about a time in my life where I let worry get the best of me. Um, it filled my heart with fear and panic. I remember it was when my son Austin was about a year old, and the boss that I was working for at the time took his office staff and their spouses to Cancun, Mexico for a little vacation retreat. And because Austin was only a year old, he got to fly free and we got to take him with us. We stayed on this beautiful resort. It was amazing. We had a wonderful week. Uh, and my boss had these rooms. He had some timeshares down there. So he spent quite a bit of time in Cancun. And he got to know the staff at the resort, the hotel workers, and uh, especially in the restaurant department. And so they invited our group over to their own personal residence for a dinner one night. We had no idea where we lived. And keep in mind, this was way before Uber. So they said they'd bring a couple cars and pick us up. So we're all getting ready, and we go down, all dressed up, standing in front of the resort. And pretty soon, uh, here come these two cars uh, buzzing down the road. These are kind of old cars, about 20 years old. They come rolling up. The cars were small. They were low to the ground. They were rusty, and you could tell the doors didn't exactly close that well. And I don't recall there being any seat belts in the cars or any car seats for kids, for sure. And I'm pretty sure I saw a couple bullet holes in one of them. Um, but anyway, the drivers that pulled up in those cars, they didn't speak a bit of English, so all they were doing was smiling at us and nodding. And then I heard them talking to each other in Spanish. They were talking to each other in Spanish. I figured, well, they're probably figuring their route. But then in the back of my mind, I'm thinking they could be planning their kidnapping plot. I don't know. But we leave this beautiful resort, and about 20 minutes out on our trip, all of a sudden, the scenery changes drastically. All of a sudden, we look around, and it looks like a third world country. There were goats on the tops of houses, and all the houses had bars and gates over the doors and windows. And they were just house after house after house, and if they had any yard at all, they had a big high fence around those yards. And uh, we're riding down dirt roads. Dust was flying everywhere, and there's all these dogs running loose everywhere. And as I'm riding in the back of that car, every Liam Neeson movie that I've ever seen comes flooding back into my memory. And you know what they're like. They're all about the same. And I realized I don't have any special uh, skills like Liam Neeson does to handle anything if it happens to go wrong. So that kind of scared me. And the gal squeezed in that was in our group next to us in that little car. She looks over at Cheryl and I in Austin. She says, you know, I don't think it's the best idea in the world to bring a little uh, blonde-haired, blue-eyed baby boy to where we're going. That really bothered me. Amen. My mind started running to places, dark places, what could happen to me and my family. I could just imagine the cartel busting in and taking us all hostage. Yeah, I've seen the TV shows. I know how it works. I just wanted to get the heck out of there. But to be honest with you, it was one of the most amazing evenings and one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had to deal with. It was beautiful. These people, they didn't even have indoor running water. They were poor. But yet they put on a feast for us that would have been fit for a king. They showed us the beautiful mur mural of Jesus that they had painted on the wall of their home. We talked about our faith. We talked about America. We talked about a little bit of everything. A few of them did speak English. That's my Cancun story. But my question is today, what are some of the things that you're worried by? I know you've got some worries. What are some things that you're worried about? And I'm not talking hypothetical things. I'm talking real worries that you're dealing with in your heart and in your life today. 
What are you worried about? What are you afraid of? And my guess is if you're anything like me, the things that you worry about the most are things concerning those that you love the most, those that you care about. What if something happens bad to someone I care for? What if something happens to my kids? What if something happens to my wife? What if uh, we aren't able to have kids? What if your fears have something to do with your aging parents and what you're going to do with them? Maybe your fears are wrapped up uh, with money issues. Maybe your fears have something to do with uh, something down at work. Maybe your fears are uh, something to do with that child that's going off to college or moving away. What I'm trying to say, and that's just the tip of the iceberg, everywhere you look, all around us every day, there are worries. That's part of life. But I'd say most of the time, I think our fears have to do with what? The future. Our fears have to do with the future. Our fears usually are about what might happen. Things that aren't guaranteed to happen, but what might happen. So we end up obsessing on those things, focusing on those things so much that I believe we miss a lot of things that God really wants to say to us. I believe we miss some things that God wants to do in and through our lives. So Jesus talks specifically about worry in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, this is a famous section of Scripture that most of us know as the Sermon on the Mount. The greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest one to ever preach or to ever live. You might call it the uh, Kingdom's Manifesto. It's the king speaking to his people about the ethics of the kingdom, about the policies of the kingdom of God. And I say it's the greatest sermon ever preached because after Jesus finishes it, in chapter 7 of Matthew, this was their response. And they were astonished at his teaching. They heard it and they were astonished at his teaching, it says, because he taught them as one having authority, not like the scribes, not like the messages they've heard from them. This was the most riveting and the most exciting and the most refreshing message that they had ever heard. Let me jump into the middle of this Sermon on the Mount. But keep in mind, in this short section of Scripture, Jesus tells them three times, not once, not twice, but three times not to worry. Anytime you tell your children to do something and you tell them to do something three times, you want them to get it, right? It's the same here. God wants us to get it. Look what it says in Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Notice how this verse starts out with the word, therefore. Anytime you see a therefore at the beginning of a verse, or the beginning of a sentence, it's connecting you with something that was said before. It's connecting you with a thought, a previous thought. What's that previous thought? Look at verse uh, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God, that is one master, and mammon or money, that is the other master. So when you put these two verses together, what's it meaning? What's it saying? Jesus is saying, I am to be the master of your life. And if I am the master of your life, then worry is totally unnecessary. How true that is. That if he is the master of our life, what do we have to worry about? In fact, look what it says in Psalms 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. So think about that. If he created everything and he owns everything, 
then he has all the resources at his disposal to take care of everything that you might need. The earth is the Lord, so that means he can, and I believe he will provide. And if the Lord's your master, then guess what? Everything you have, it's not yours. You might think it is, but it's not yours. It's his. It belongs to him. We're just borrowing it from him. I love the story about a man who came to John Wesley one day, and he said, Mr. Wesley, your house has burnt down. And John Wesley, this great man of faith, said, oh, no, my house hasn't burnt down because I don't have a house, and the one that I live in belongs to God. And if it burned down, it's one less responsibility I have to worry about. I'm thinking, what a perspective. John Wesley knows the deal. He knows the secret. Everything that he has belongs to God, and everything, God's the master of it all. But he's more than that, John, I believe, is saying. He's saying he's also your heavenly father. You know what that implies? Relationship. Look in verse 26. Jesus compares us to the birds of the air. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? So Jesus is using birds to bring out an important spiritual truth that I believe he wants us to see. He's saying, look around you. There are birds everywhere. They're not freaking out. They're not stressing out. They're not worrying. They don't even know how to worry, but somehow they eat. I believe if you dig a little deeper, he's saying, hey, they don't have savings accounts. They don't have savings plans. They don't rent storage sheds. They don't have some worms in an IRA account, but they're doing pretty well. How's that happen? Jesus tells us why. He says, Jesus says, your heavenly Father feeds them. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Notice he doesn't say their heavenly Father feeds them. No, he says... Your heavenly Father feeds them. Yeah, He's their creator, but He's your heavenly Father. Amen? He's trying to drive the point home that they're just birds. They're not human beings. They're not of that great of importance, but God still cares for them. And He cares for them so much that He even feeds them. But how much more important to God are His kids? Have you ever thought about that? How much more important are you to God than the birds of the air, than everything else? And if you've got pets or kids, you might uh, be able to uh, uh, relate to this. You know, when you start out, you might have a dog, a puppy, and he becomes part of your family. He goes everywhere with you, rides in the car with you, sleeps in the bed with you, sits in the chair with you. Our dog, Gemma, is part of our family. She comes down here at the church with us. But then think about when you have kids. What happens to the dog? The back seat, or let's say the backyard. It's all because our kids are so much more important than our dogs, or at least they should be. And, and authorities kind of frown on us keeping our kids in the backyard. Amen? But that verse is so powerful because he specifically says, your heavenly Father. He personalizes it. Another way to look at it is, we're God's children. We have the privilege of being called God's children. And children, let me ask you, your kids aren't prone to worry, Right? They just trust that mom and dad are going to take care of the problems. They're going to take care of their needs. I've never seen a, a child ask the question, how in the world am I going to pay this mortgage off? They aren't worried about how they're going to get their school fees paid off. Jesus says, your heavenly Father knows your needs. This is huge. Because if we understand that he knows our needs, we should be asking ourselves, hey, do you think that layoff at work was a surprise to God? No, because he know, knows your needs. Do you think that health scare was a surprise to God, caught him off guard? No, because he knows your needs. 
What I'm trying to say, he's not surprised by anything that happens to you or even around you, and he's there to take care of you. And how do I know that? It's pretty simple to me. You determine the value of something by what, you're, what they're willing to pay for that. You, you determine the value of something by what they're willing to pay for it. What was Jesus willing to pay for us? What was God willing to pay for you and me? I'll tell you what it was. The life of his son. Most of us have memorized John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whosoever believeth in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So if God spared no expense at saving us, why do we have a problem believing and trusting that he'll take care of us? Don't we believe that God will save us from hell? Don't we believe that he'll set us free from the burdens and the bondage of sin? Don't we believe that when we die, he's going to take us to heaven? Then why in the world do we have a problem trusting that he'll take care of us today, tomorrow, next week, or whenever? When you put it in those kind of terms, it's kind of ridiculous to worry about it. Look at verse 27. Jesus says, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? No, we can't. Worry doesn't make your life longer. It makes it more miserable. How many have found that out? Worry makes your life more miserable. Worry doesn't add anything to your life or even change anything. So Jesus, again, I think is just saying, hey, worrying is useless. And Jesus brings out that point by saying worrying doesn't add a single hour. I'd say even a single minute to a person's life. Listen to some statistics that I found about worry. 40% of what we worry about never comes to pass. That's a lot. 40% of what we worry about never comes to pass. Just think of how much time we've wasted on worrying about things that never came to pass, never happened. 30% of what we worry about happened in the past and it can't be changed. So why in the world are you still worrying about it? 10% of what we worry about relates to health. And this kind of is, is a little bit funny, a little bit sad at the same time because researchers and doctors have proven that one thing worry will do is make your health worse. Not better, but make it worse. So Jesus, again, in this verse is telling us that our worry is useless. doesn't make you healthier. doesn't make you happier. It doesn't affect whether or not something happens or doesn't happen in your life. So what I'm going to tell you is control what you can. There are some things that we can control. Control your attitude, that's one. Control your choices. Control your spiritual commitment. And give to God what you can't control. Yeah, use what you have yourself. Do what you can do, but control what you can control. But what you can't control, give it all to God. Look what he says in verse 28. Jesus says, And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothed the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? You know, it's pretty sad that we as human beings, the highest life form on the planet, are actually right here being theologically and spiritually schooled by grass and by birds. If you think about it, if God can take care of the grass and the birds, don't you think he can take care of us? And I believe here's the thing that grass and birds know that maybe we forget, is that God's in control. Creation, every day, all the time, is pointing to the fact that he's God and we're not. That he's in control and we're not. 
Here's the third time he says not to worry. So do not worry in verse 31. What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and our heavenly Father knows that you need them. So earlier, Jesus was comparing us to little old birds. Now he's actually comparing us to people. Not just any people, he's comparing us to people that he's calling pagans. We don't use that word very much in our English language, but that means non-believers or unbelievers. So Jesus is saying that the lives of those who could really care less about him, those unbelievers, they're dominated by the things that this world offers. They're going after all these earthly treasures. And you know why? It's because in this life, that's all they've got. That's all they have. And I know bad things happen, even to Christians. They do. Christians get cancer. Christians die in automobile wrecks. Christians lose loved ones unexpectedly. Christians face a lot of different hardships. But there's a big difference. Christians have a God to turn to in their time of trouble. Christians have a God with a listening ear and a caring heart. He wants to hear our prayers, and He wants to help us through our needs. But when I think about an unbeliever, they can't make a claim to God's provision and God's promises. They just can't. And that's good reason to worry. They have no promise of eternal life. They have no covenant relationship with God. They have no promise of the peace that passes understanding when they go through life storms. You know, whenever we start fretting and worrying about what we're going to eat, what we're going to wear, how we're going to get through this or that, we sound a whole lot like the person who's relying on himself instead of on God, right? And we're also showing where our hope comes from. Our hope is not in a loving, caring God. It's in the things of this world. So what are we to do? I think Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 tells us, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things. What are all these things? Food, drink, clothing, everything else that we need. And he says, will be given to you as well. We're to seek the things of God as a priority over the things of this world. We are. To make them number one. Make Him number one. And did you notice that word first? Seek first. He didn't say seek second, third, or fourth. He said seek first. Make it a priority. A couple of weeks ago, I had a scheduled appointment down here to meet with someone down at the church. and I was still at home, and I was running close on my time. And I, uh, I got ready to head out the door, and I reached over on the countertop to get my keys where they normally are. And my car keys weren't there. So I looked at the other countertop. They weren't over there. I peeked into the dining room. They weren't on the table in there. They weren't on the desk. And I started to get a little bit panicked because I desperately needed to find them because I was running real close on time if I wasn't already late. Just a side note, I found them. You know where I found them? You might be surprised, but they were right in my hand the whole time. Don't judge me because I know many of you have done the same thing, even if you won't admit it. But I believe Jesus is telling us when it comes to being desperate, we need to be desperate to want to find God's kingdom. We want to have a desperation in our hearts to find God's kingdom and His righteousness in our life. So let me ask you a simple question. Are you doing that with your life today? Are you putting Him first above everything else? Are you seeking and searching after Him like never before? Have you fully surrendered to God your life or are you just giving Him bits and pieces? Just look at your calendar this past week. Does what you've done and what you've got scheduled say that He was number one priority in your life? Did you wake up early in the morning and thank Him for a brand new day? Did you do that? 
Did you wake up that morning and give him a little bit of worship time, a little bit of praise, a little bit of thanks? Or did you reach over and pick up your telephone or your phone and start scrolling through Facebook, mean, mean to spend five minutes and just spend 35 minutes? Or did you pick up your Bible and get into God's Word and get it in your heart and your mind and your spirit? Or did you turn on the TV like many of us do, look at the news, which, by the way, is all bad news. Well, Jesus says the opposite. He says, if you put me first, you're going to find me. You're going to find me, and then he says, you'll be rewarded for it. People, let me tell you today, I think we need to trade in our worrying for worship. But the only way you're going to do that, the only way is to put him first. Where is he in your life right now? Where are your priorities? Look at verse 34. Jesus says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. I love that. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. He's actually saying you're going to have grace tomorrow for anything that you're going to face tomorrow. And, it be, and it's because God's already in your tomorrow. God is such a big God, He's there before we get there. I've talked to some people that have been in some rough times and some bad circumstances, and they have a feeling like I could never have faced this, I thought, until I had to face it. And when they faced it with God's help, He brought His grace and strength and saw Him through it. So what is worry? I'd say from what I've said so far, according to these scriptures, it's a lack of trust in God. And worrying may easily be the most common sin on the planet. I think it is. I believe it's a direct result of us forgetting that God is good all the time. Amen? You can pray or you can panic. But if you're not praying, you're panicking. You can worry or you can worship. But if you're not worshiping, you're worrying. But get this, as soon as you invite worship in the front door, worry goes running out the back door. Amen? Invite worship into the front door, worry has to go out the back door. So how do you not worry? How do you trust God to get you through the difficult times? I'll give you a couple of ways, a couple of reasons. First, you've got to replace the what ifs with the even ifs. Replace the what ifs with the even ifs. Remember that story of Shadrach, Shadrach Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3? Remember King Nebuchadnezzar that made that ruling that uh, if they didn't bow down and worship his false gods, he would throw them into the fiery furnace? These three guys knew exactly what they needed to do, but they didn't know if God was going to guarantee that they'd be saved. But instead of worrying what if the king follows through with his threats and we die, they went to Nebuchadnezzar and they told Nebuchadnezzar, even if we die, even if we die, we prefer that to bowing down to your false god. They knew that God was able to deliver them, and in the end, he did. But I love their attitude. Their attitude was ultimately God's in control. And everything, as crazy as it is, and as threatening as it is, is in God's hands. So I can imagine them saying, King, even if you throw us into the fiery furnace, and even if we die, we know we're in God's hands. And that's exactly where we want to be. I love that. No matter how bad things look, they said, we want to be in God's will. We want to be in God's plan. That's the best place to be. These men met their worry of the what if with the confidence of the even if. With the confidence of the even if, and that confidence only comes by knowing that God is a loving God. God is an all-powerful God. God's an all-caring God, an all-knowing, all-watchful God. God is an all-present God in our times of struggle. 
those God is realities, knowing who He is and what He's promised to do, those God is realities can take care of every worry in your life. That scripture comes to my mind, if God be for me, who or what can be against me? The second thing, think of a time where God showed up. Just think of a time. Think of a time when you didn't know what you were going to do or how you were going to make it through, and God, may, God showed up and He got you through it. Many of you have walked through this story with us, and I thank many of you for your prayers and your support, your encouragement. But about 10 years ago, my wife was called by a nurse, and the nurse said that those blood tests that you just took came back, and you have an extremely low white blood cell count. They're so low, you need to come back right now. We need to run some more tests. So we turned around, and we went right back up to the hospital, and they ran some more tests, and they were low again. So they sent us to an oncologist that ran several more tests. And he looked at the numbers and he told us this is kind of indicative of uh, three things that stood out to him. Leukemia, lupus, or lymphoma. All three of them scared us to death. They tested her for those things and all three of those came back negative. But over the course of the next three years, Cheryl had three. Not one, not two, but three bone marrow biopsies. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those take place. I was in the room when she had all three of them done. She had two done down at Barnes and one up here at Carl. It's like they take a core drill and drill down through your hip bone into your bone marrow. They say it's one of the most painful uh, things that you could have done. I don't think I could have made it through that. It looks so painful. Well, one of the doctors, after they got many of the results back, he diagnosed Cheryl's having aplastic anemia, which is not a good thing which means that her bone marrow was failing. It was a matter of when that was going to happen. When we heard that, we got in God's Word. We got on our knees in prayer. We drew close to our God. We called on our prayer group. They went to bat with us in prayer. They prayed with us. We prayed. We fasted. We believed that God was going to take care of it. I'm not going to say there weren't moments of fear. There were lots of moments of fear. There were a lot of sleepless nights and worry. We kept trusting in God. And we kept standing on His Word. One scripture stands out to me. One of them we stood on was Isaiah 35, 4. It says, Say to those with fearful hearts. Cheryl and I definitely had some fearful hearts. Be strong and do not fear. For your God is coming. To destroy your enemies. He's coming to save you. We trusted in that Word of God because we trusted in the God that gave us that Word, that promise. Cheryl still today has a low white blood cell count, but God is sustaining her. He's been sustaining her. One doctor told us, hey, I can't explain it. All I can say is she has a superior, inferior immune system. Well, I can explain it. Our God showed up. We didn't know if he would. We knew he could, but we didn't know if he would. And even if he didn't, we were going to trust him to see us through it. Think of a time when you didn't know how that bill was going to get paid, but God showed up and paid that bill. Think of a time when you were so stressed out, you thought you were going to lose your mind or lose your family, lose your marriage, and you trusted God, God showed up, and you're still going strong today. Remember the stories of God's faithfulness in your life. Remember what He's done in your past to springboard you forward to realize what He can do with your present struggle, your trouble. I believe we as people of God, followers of Christ, ought to be optimistic about our tomorrows. Amen? We ought to be optimistic because we have a great future and only because we have a great God. We serve a great God. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same 
yesterday, today, and yes, forever. He's got it covered. That means he'll be doing the same thing tomorrow that he is doing yesterday, that he was doing yesterday. And if you have any questions about the future, all you have to do is look back. Did he sustain you then? Yes. Will he sustain you now? Yes. We just have to keep trusting in him. So let me encourage you, no matter how big your mountain of worry is, bring worship in the front door and let worry run out the back door. Let worship come in and let it replace the fear. Let it replace the worship because worship brings God's presence into your life. I encourage you to start trusting in Him like you've never trusted before. Yeah, it was a big thing when we found out that Cheryl might have aplastic anemia. Uh, some of those reports we read that they don't even last very long, but God has sustained her. She's, I'd say, the healthiest one in our family because of God's providence, God's promises, God's way, God's love. And His mercy. So this morning, it doesn't matter what you're facing. Keep trusting in Him. Keep your hand in His hand. Keep your problem in His care. Because He wants to see you through. He'll meet your needs. Could you bow your hearts in prayer? Father, today I pray that Your Spirit would minister healing into worried hearts. And God, I know that it's so natural for us as people to be consumed with all the cares and all the worries of this world and of this life. God, today I pray that the presence of your Spirit, the teaching of your Word, and the goodness of your presence would minister, minister to us, Lord God, and I pray you would set us free. Lord God, help us to see that we don't have to worry. We don't have to fear. Some of you might be saying, well, that sounds good. Easier said than done. You might be thinking, there's a whole lot going on in my life. There's a whole lot that I'm concerned about. I'm worried about my kids, my future. How am I going to make it through this? How are we going to hang on? What's that doctor's report going to say? There are so many things. But today by faith, let me encourage you to stay the course of faith. Trust God. Surrender it all over to God and say, Today I want to give you, Lord, my worry. I want to give you my fear. I give you my problem. I'm going to bring worship in the front door and I'm going to push worry out the back door. I'm going to refuse to worry. And I'm going to resist worry. And I'm going to trust in you. Pray this with me. Lord, I give you my worries today. I give you my fears today, my anxieties.